everybody. I hope you're having a beautiful day. And if not, this conversation we're dropping into is so nourishing, inspiring, and empowering. Welcome back, or welcome to As It Goes. I'm Lydia, the founder of Reself, the studio empowering your conscious living through our guided path to seamlessly integrate the necessary wisdom and practices into your authentic way of being. You know, we're all just figuring it out as it goes. Conversations help us along the way. And today's conversation is certainly one of those. I sat down with Ashley Pradhan and Sarah Valer, co-founders of In Bold Print, to talk about conscious living, specifically conscious consumption, as In Bold Print is a huge budding facilitator of making conscious living unconscious, as they say, by making it easier for us as consumers to understand and choose eco-friendly products through their product scoring system. Before we get into it, Reself just shared our free radiant loving kindness 10-minute guided meditation. This is such a simple yet life-changing daily practice to drop into. Practicing loving kindness meditation reestablishes and nourishes our relationship with and active expression of our innate loving kindness within for ourselves, for our loved ones, for those we don't know so well, for those we struggle to love, and all beings everywhere. It reconnects us with our innate completeness and oneness, as we spoke about in last week's episode of As It Goes. This is how peace becomes our personal and collective reality. We truly embody peace when we're practicing consistently loving kindness. This meditation has its roots in loving kindness, one of the four key aspects of genuine love in Buddhist philosophy, as we spoke about in As It Goes, episode 32, Embodying Love, part two. This meditation is an active practice for us to connect with, feel, and grow this foundational element of genuine love. It interrupts our habitual thoughts and provides an opening for insight, clarity, and expansion to occur. It transforms how we show up for ourselves, each other, and everything we do. Practicing and cultivating within this container of meditation that which we then bring out into the world in our everyday lives. Practicing this meditation right when you wake up creates a key transformative foundation for your day. And this is how loving kindness becomes part of our authentic way of being in everyday life. So give it a try for the next 21 days or just for today. Download it for free using the link in the description and enjoy the sounds of trees swaying in the sun and gentle breeze and birds singing sweet affirmations of loving kindness in the background. My conversation with Ashley and Sierra always returned to the themes of intentionality and balance in every aspect of our lives as we went from discussing finding movement that resonates with our unique being, nurturing conscious relationships, specifically as co-founders, but moreover as humans together on a journey. We discuss in bold print, conscious consumption, embracing the discomfort and the unknown, 
creating a conscious business and working cyclically and in balance, honoring the masculine and feminine energies. And finally, we discuss what fulfillment and freedom means to us. Ultimately, living our purpose and aligned with our true nature as humans. Whether you're interested in business, entrepreneurship, or not, this conversation offers so much wisdom and nourishment for us on our journeys because that's what happens when we gather and we share our stories and experiences and wisdom that we've collected along the way. Especially when those experiences, perspectives, and interests aren't necessarily our immediate experiences, perspectives, and interests. That richness in diversity and experience is so nourishing. So without further ado, join us in conversation. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure. I'll let Sierra go first. Yeah, I'm Sierra Valer, one of the co-founders of Inbold Print. Um, I live in Chicago. I have two dogs and I'm married and, you know, kind of living the, you know, eat and enjoy Chicago food, go on walks when it's uh, actually nice out. And, you know, it's a, a little bit about me and I'm sure we'll learn more as we go. Um, I'm Ashley. I am also the co-founder of Inbold Print. Um, Sierra and I have been friends for seven years now. We went to school together and um, decided to start this business together. Uh, we also happen to live in the same building in Bucktown, Wicker. Um, our dogs are actually dating. They are. <laughs> so they started off as best friends, but it really grew and uh, blossomed into love. So they hang out regularly. Um, I also with my very little spare time now, do a lot of boxing. I like reading psychological thrillers. Um, yeah, so we keep it, we try to stay interested in other things and um, enjoy our lives a little bit too while we work. Totally, totally. Those were great introductions. <laughs> you clearly have practice at this. First question. Ashley, boxing. How long have you been boxing? What is your experience with this? I have boxed like on my own in, in high school and I find it to be the most cathartic release of, of anger and like empowerment. Yeah, totally. Um, when I say I box, I box bags, not people. Yes. <laughs> I've had a couple of things, oh my God. A couple people say, oh my God, you're such a badass. Like, how do you fight? Like, do you get bridges? And I'm like, no, <laughs> the, the bag full of water, sand, whatever it is. Um, I've been boxing for several years now. Um, in college, I got into it um, because I started doing Orange Theory. And I found that the cardio was a really good release. I was an athlete in mm. high school and played lacrosse. And then in college, I played for a little while and then um, kind of tapered off because of school, so I needed a new outlet, um, and I loved Orange Theory for that, but I hate running, um, so then I got into boxing because it's the same amount of cardio, but, like, you're doing something, and it's so much a release, exactly, um, and then I, I've tried a bunch of studios in the area and different neighborhoods, especially with class pass I liked, but I got to try different ones, um, but what I like about it is that 
you are there and you are like learning how to do something, you know your punches, you know exactly what you're doing, but then you get these opportunities to just let loose and do it however you want to do it. And you get to leave whatever you want on the bag. And if you're angry or if you're sad or even really excited, you get to just like take it all out right there. Um, I've had experiences where I was so mad from work or life that I boxed harder than I ever have and then just like cried at the end because it was such a release. Um, and I thought it was so weird the first time that it happened because I was like, I'm not sad, I'm mad. And then I just was <laughs> coming out in a different form and uh, I love it for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your journey just highlights how and I was just having this conversation with someone the other day about yoga. Everyone has a different form of movement that resonates with them. And just because running might be like the push or finding, you know, your sport, whatever, it's such a journey, personal journey. And something I learned recently from a teacher of mine is that if your meditation is uncomfortable, then you're not doing the right one for you in the moment. So like if you're seated and your mind is all over the place and it's really not working and that's been like it for the past few days, do a walking meditation, like change up what you need. And it's just so awesome that you listen to yourself. You knew what you needed. You knew what had been happening. Was it? It's just like awareness, man. I will say that's like such a beautiful way to put it. And I totally agree with the approach. It is a hard sometimes to figure out what that is and to ignore the, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I just thought that like, I was supposed to run because that's the thing you do and they you get this runner's high and whatever. And I even signed up to run a half marathon because mm. that, that's what cool athletes do, right? They run marathons. And I knew that I couldn't do a marathon, but I did a half and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. My fiance was at the halfway mark holding a big sign that says, you're at the halfway mark. After this, you never have to run again. <laughs> I kept saying, when I'm done with this, I'm never running again. And I really haven't, like, ever since. That was years ago. Yeah. And I was like, no, I did it because I set out to do it. But I'm done. It doesn't do anything for me. I just, why? Totally. So, yeah, I totally agree. Find, find the way that it does work for you. Yes. Yes. And I like that both of you highlighted and emphasized maintaining a life outside of your baby, your business <laughs> that you are birthing, and that takes 110% of your focus and energy. That balance is so important. Do you want to touch on that? It, it's definitely a hard one. Um, and I would say we don't have the answer and we're going to keep trying every day to, to figure out what's best in that moment. But I think from the very beginning, you know, you hear a lot about startups and grind and like working 24 seven. And it starts to feel like a lot of pressure of like, if I don't do that, if I'm not like sleeping an hour a night and doing nothing but work, then I must not make it, right? That's what the world tells you. And we kind of started off this business saying like, well, can we do it differently? Like, can we find how to be human and run this business all at the same time? Can we find success in that lifestyle? And 
I'm not saying we haven't figured out. I'm not saying that we, you know, have gone success, but like so far that has been working for us. And I think it's really helpful to have each other as partners and be able to lean on each other. Cause it's not, I mean, like any partnership, it's not 50-50. It's not like we can both show up and be a hundred percent every day. Like we have mm-hmm. a lot of give and take that we're able to rely on each other for. So we're very fortunate in that way. But we also have each other on the flip side to check each other, like to say like, no, like don't work right now. Like, just go be in the moment. Go do that thing. Like enjoy life a little bit. And, you know, I think it, it's really that age old thing of if you take a step away for five minutes, two minutes, an hour at the night, sometimes you come back. Most of the time you come back way more refreshed, way more productive the next day. I think that we really found that to be true. So we just try to keep reminding ourselves. Yeah. It's so beautiful to hear that you both in sharing, you know, and being co-founders together, what that actually means and looks like in, in that relationship. That's so, it's so incredible. And when Ashley and I, Sarah, you probably already know this, but when Ashley and I spoke a few weeks ago, I asked her, if you didn't have Sierra, would you have done this? And without hesitation, straight answer, she said no. And that's Mm -hmm. so, it's just so clear to then hear you elaborate on what that relationship actually means and looks like other than, and like equally, if not more important in that, in that foundational nurturing of if both of you aren't feeding yourselves outside of work it'll reflect in your work and so that foundational relationship and nourishment of each other is just so so incredible that you both that you have each other in this journey yeah, we're definitely very lucky. I like, I will not lie and say like when I started out before meeting Ashley, I definitely thought like, okay, one day I'm going to, you know, be an entrepreneur. And I thought that I would do it on my own. And after meeting Ashley and being together, like there's literally no way that we could do this, you know, without each other. And it's not, it's having a co-founder is amazing. And I will obviously know what it's like to have other co-founders or what other co-founder relationships are. But I do think that we're very lucky in the partnership that we have both personally and professionally and being able to lift each other up and, and really like create that kind of partnership. And I think that's at the core of everything that we do, every decision we make. And so I feel really, really humbled and, and lucky that, you know, she's going to do this journey with me. Aww. You know, all of that said, it does take a lot of nurturing and a lot of work to maintain mm-hmm. that kind of relationship because you're going through some pretty high pressure situations all day. And you're, you know, you're talking about decisions that put people's livelihood at stake. And I'm making decisions for Sierra and her family and, you know, her husband and her, her babies, her dogs, and she has to do that for me. So we work yeah. really hard to nurture it. We are really blessed to have the relationship that we do, but we make sure that at least once a month, we have a date just the two of us. And we're not allowed to talk about work. We're not allowed to be near work. We'll go out to dinner or we'll go get drinks, whatever it is, it's something away. Mm-hmm. And we do things like, hey, we have a, um, a conference call for two hours on, in the middle of a Wednesday. 
why don't we go get a manager while we listen in on that call since we're not going to have to be super active we can still absorb but let's do something together and step away from work mm -hmm. when we first started we started every day with mindfulness cards setting an intention talking about something we wanted to work on um, and we, you know, like when you're a couple, there's all those little decks of cards that you use to get to know each other and ask each other deep questions. So we took one of those and asked each other those questions. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot that goes into it that is the personal journey, not just the professional partnership journey. And they're very hard to disentangle. And I actually don't want to because I think one beats the other really well. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's so, I mean, it's so clear that you went into this partnership so consciously, so consciously. And I mean, starting your day together, not just like, this is my practice. This is what I do in my mornings, but let's do that together. That's, I mean, again, that takes consciousness and effort to say, I know that this is going to make a difference in our work day and our work relationship. And as you highlighted, you guys are friends first. So that is the most important thing to nourish and cherish and make sure that nothing comes between that. And it, it's clear that you're doing everything that you can to evolve together in that way. And that's so beautiful. Well, thank you. We try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's been enough anticipation. Will you please introduce us and talk to us about your company in bold print and what you're doing, your mission, your vision? Yeah, absolutely. Um, at in bold print, we built a platform that integrates into brand and retailer websites to score their products based on how sustainable they are. So we really look at the whole life cycle of a product from sourcing and manufacturing, how much transportation was involved. When you're actually holding that product, what kind of instructions are available to you? What do you do with that product? Are there byproducts that go into the world as a result of you using that product? And then what happens at the end of life? Does it end up in a landfill? Is it recyclable? Is it compostable? Um, a lot of those things are things that we think about but are really hard to break down on a product when there's so much information available and there's so much greenwashing and there's words like this is green and this is clean and this is sustainable. <laughs> we had a really hard time as consumers figuring out how to decode that system. And being just data people, you know, all of our experiences in the data technology world for the last several years, we wanted to use our skills for good. Um, and so we wanted to make a little difference in the world. You know, we want, our vision is to make conscious living so simple that it becomes an unconscious behavior. You know, if you want some people to make the <laughs> big change, you're going to need a lot of people to make those changes. And it has to be simple. Yeah. I would love to say that if people care, they'll get behind it. And I think some do. But we got to get the people that don't care too. If it's so easy that they'll just do it because it's in front of them, that's how we get everybody. That's how we get a lot of people. Um, so we really focus on bringing that information to the consumer and letting them pick uh, products that align with their values. And we work with brands and retailers to do it because 
they want to give that transparency to their customers too. They want to source better products. They want to make better products. Um, so we start with the business and give them a score on those products and create a whole scorecard that shows what's happening during the life cycle so that consumers can make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> first, I did, if not one of Ashley and Sarah's first initial surveys to of consumers and what consumers are looking for and um that process of what do you care about as a consumer and how does that reflect in your actions we've talked about this on the podcast before voting with our dollar I know that that's something you both have used and it's you know it's really true and on the consumer end in bold print makes that process easier because without it, the pain point is the fact that I and everyone else has to spend their time to discern, okay, where is this coming from? Okay, do I, am I aware that mm, that country probably has a lot of child labor in wherever they're producing? They're probably not producing the most sustainable way, la 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 there's no information about this product. I have no clue. And as you highlighted, and I think this is such an important thing and was really a point that I wanted to get across in this conversation and that I had to change my mind on is in reality, the consumption and footprint of the 1% does not equal the masses. It's the masses, it's us, it's everybody else that actually will enact meaningful change. If we vote with our dollar, if we shop sustainably, if we, that's, it's not like on a small group of people to change their behavior. That doesn't equate to the truest impacts. But would it be great if everyone did that? Yes, absolutely. It it goes back to that point of, we are many and they are few in whatever context that is and and making it so easy that it becomes your new unconscious then that's that's beautiful that's the future and that's not at all to negate carbon emission inequality that is a very real reality and issue especially when it comes to the unequal distribution of how climate change is already and will continue to impact disproportionately based on socioeconomic status. It's moreover to point out that we can point the finger until the cow comes home, but we, I as an individual, can only control myself. And that is where my empowerment lies. So companies like Inbold Print that are creating ways that make sustainable emission-reducing changes and decisions easy and accessible are changing the ways in which we can reclaim our individual power in how we use our money to enact change, to heal the climate crisis, to create a new culture in which this is the norm. 
Yeah, it, it's really, um, we, we set out obviously with this mission to make a big difference by enabling that everyday consumer, just like you're talking about. But very recently, like very tangibly, we were talking to a retailer that's a customer of ours. And one of the things that we look at is the transparency of like the disposal instructions. Like, are you telling me what to do with this product at the flight? Um, you know, when consumers are saying like, I will or will not buy this product based on, you know, various uh, sustainable claims and obviously ultimately by, by having kind of that score on the product, one of the things that we pointed out to her is, hey, you didn't have these disposable instructions on there. So the consumers who are going out there and are saying, hey, I'm not going to buy that product for that reason, or I'm going to buy products that have those instructions, she mm -hmm. actually is going to change that. She's going to put disposable instructions on her products. And she, she has all these great ideas about how to do it too, like breaking it down so it's more than just like recycle this and, you know, right. this trash. So that's a really big tangible difference that not only the consumers who actually need that decision, but every other consumer of her product mm -hmm. is also going to see those instructions now. Mm -hmm. So now those other consumers, I mean, I hope at least those other consumers are going to say, oh, what's that? Or, oh, I didn't realize that you yeah. can't go the way at curbside. So it just starts this like, spark I guess and, and interest and learning and I think that that's like how you get that ball rolling and getting mm -hmm. more and more people on on the train to make a difference and the more information delivered to people and I mean it's clear Reself is right behind this the better like we need to know we need to be taught having that instruction right in front of me on the bottle that says this is like, for example, a dropper. This is something that I constantly, every time I like from a tincture or a serum, whatever. Okay, I'm gonna take this apart, take the rubber stopper, throw that away or recycle it depending. The glass goes recyclable, what's not recyclable, what has to go in the trash. But for anyone else or, or who doesn't A, have the time to even pause and think about okay, this is just going in the trash. What else is recyclable? Having those instructions is just so easy and beautiful. And the ability in certain instances to reuse those products too. One of my favorite things that I've done with a lot of my creams or mask jars, if I'm not recycling them, is I use them for succulent pots. And they make cute, like cute little eclectic, jars for my succulent when they're a baby <laughs> that's cute I love that yeah yeah most of my plant slash flower vases and jars are like old juice bottles old mask things and it's it's fun to give those things second lives and the smoothie jar that I'm drinking out of right now while it's a mason jar I didn't buy this jar Whenever I have jars, whether it's pasta sauce or salsa or olive oil and swing top bottles, I clean these vessels out and collect them. I didn't have to buy a single glass for my house. All of my glasses are reused jars and juice bottles. So it's a great example of we don't always need to jump on Amazon and buy a 12 pack of these. And I know I've been tempted, but there's so much joy in the fact that we can slowly collect them from what we're already buying and give them that second, more permanent life.
even instead of recycling, keeping it, that longevity, creating a new relationship, a new function for it. Just because I can go buy something new doesn't mean I always should or need to, moreover. And again, there's so much joy and play and fun in delaying that gratification, in collecting and curating and establishing that eclectic collection. And not only is it good for the planet and saves emissions that otherwise would have been supported by our purchase, it saves us money. All of the glasses that are in my house have a story, a history. This is their second life. And that's palpable in each use instead of being something fresh off the factory belt. And I just love that. It feels good. It feels good to do it. It feels good to delay that gratification. And it feels good to use it. Totally. You get to use a different, like, creative, you get to flex a different creative muscle, you know? Like, what can I do with this instead of throwing it away? How long can I let this live on in a different form? Totally. Totally. Absolutely. And I took, um, Sarah, you went to Loyola, right? Too, yes. I did, yeah. We all went to Loyola in Chicago. I took a class the fall of my senior year called the Human Ecological Footprint. And it was an anthropology class. And my teacher, we read, we read a lot of stuff, but two books I recommend from that, and it'll be in the description, are um, The Story of Stuff and um, Garbology. And one of the biggest epiphanies I had through that class, and this was like, I've taken a ton of environmental and environmental ethics classes and stuff throughout my like science and philosophy journey but this class was the most personal human approach to this topic and one of the things that I literally went home and did after class one time was I dumped out my entire trash can and I looked at it and I just said what is in here how much is in here I'm one person living alone how many times am I taking out the trash a week? What is in my trash can? What is recycled? How much of that is actually getting recycled? All of those questions. And that's a fun little Saturday afternoon project, you know? It's really just an introduction to creating that relationship with ourselves of getting conscious about okay, this doesn't just disappear because it's left my life. It's going somewhere. It's life hasn't ended. And I think that what's so beautiful about In Bold Print and what's so needed is that in so many different facets, whether it's the food system or what we consume stuff, it's, we're so distant. We're so distant from the production and from the end result, where it's going, that life cycle. And we just have this one little piece of it right now in, in the sense of we buy, we use, we're done. What else is happening in that other piece of the puzzle? And supply and demand. We, again, we hold the power in terms of 
that's what voting with our dollar is. That's whatever we're supporting, whether we're conscious of it or not, energetically and physically, that's what is being recreated because of the demand we're creating by our purchasing. So really the power is within the consumer and being a conscious consumer and making that easy for everyone is such an incredibly potent mission and, and action that you both are initiating and have initiated and it's so awesome. Well, thank you. I, I totally agree. And honestly, I agree now more than I ever did before. Mm. You know, I've always heard vote with your dollar, the power is in our hands as consumers, but I didn't know how true it was until we started talking to businesses. And mm. especially in our earlier days, uh, you know, <laughs> last year, uh, we got a lot of like, yeah, that sounds great, but I'm not going to put by something like that as a brand or retailer until I know for sure that consumers are going to buy those things. And we heard it over and over again. As soon as I see that they'll put their money where their mouth is, that's when I will invest in sourcing more of those products and paying for the assessments and that kind of thing. Um, and even in just the last few months, we've seen that uh, attitude change a little bit. We still, there's still skeptics, there always will be, but we're getting a lot more of, yeah, absolutely. They're calling for it more and more loudly. They're actually paying for it. Um, even like Sephora adding their clean line mm -hmm. and improving it to include planet impact. Um, they now have a way of tracking that people are buying the, the things that they've labeled as better for the world. And they can tell that the traction is picking up. You know, you don't continue investing in something if, if it's not going anywhere. Totally. Um, and other businesses are seeing similar trends. So it's, it's so good, you know, especially at the beginning when you're trying to prove that people do care and that we do need better products. It's discouraging to hear, yeah, well, let me see if they'll put their money where their mouth is. And then a few months later to hear, all right, I see it. It's so good. And it puts mm -hmm. so much power in our hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you both want to talk in briefly or in long about your journey individually to conscious consumption? Yeah. Oh, let's hear it. Yeah. Um, I have not always been a conscious consumer. I mean, like, that's just the honest truth. Like, I grew up in Texas Damn. and um, <laughs> well, they got, you know, maybe this is um, overly harsh. Maybe it's not, but we were taught reduce, reuse, recycle, and that's it. Like, it's just a little triangle. And, you know, even then, like, you're not going in depth, like, well, what does that mean? How do I put that into practice? It was just something completely in the background. And like, even being even more honest, like as when I was young, I was such a skeptic. Like, I just thought, I don't know, the world's gonna end before this makes a difference and my actions don't matter. And like, I hear that all the time from people today still. Yeah. I started thinking more about like, okay, well, how do my actions fit into the world? You start hearing a lot more about, you know, um, sustainable products, sustainability is the concept. And at first, like being busy and running around constantly, I didn't have that intention, that consciousness about mm -hmm. my actions, my decision. And, you know, it was obviously a, a growth into the pandemic, but when we were all in lockdown, then you really audit every single mm -hmm. thing 
through every single thing in the house. You watch the entire world around you burn and you say, well, how can I help? How can I be a part of this? I mean, I literally can't leave my house and buy everything online. So what does that look like? So then it's kind of, um, people talk about like, when they start to understand the concept of classics, then they see it everywhere. It's kind of like that. Like you just can't unsee it once you start seeing it. So then you do small things. I mean, really early in the journey, a lot of what I was looking at is like really small things like trash bags. Like does a biodegradable trash bag even make any sense? Like does it go to the landfill and biodegrade or is it just not a good atmosphere for it? Does it putting food in a biodegradable trash bag, open it up, therefore not cause nothing? You know, there's all these questions that you start to be like, well, I just don't understand how it all fits in. I don't understand the inputs and outputs. So then just kind of started to learn all of those things. It was really fascinating. I've always been really interested in like learning more about any particular subject and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and to be able to affect change on something that feels so overwhelming mm-hmm. was really cool. So that's kind of like, you know, the, the lead up to starting the company, a lot of it was like, I just wasn't a good conscious consumer. And it's slowly, the more I learned, the more I cared. And now going to the grocery store is a crazy experience. Like any store <laughs> is a crazy experience. Uh, Ashton can probably attest, like it takes forever for us to buy a product that we haven't scored. <laughs> We're starting to, we, we know obviously a lot of our framework by heart. So kind of look through a lot of products, but it still takes forever. You can't just buy things um, unconsciously anymore, right? In a whole different way. So um, it's been it's been a crazy journey. It's been an awesome journey. I'm so glad to be on the side that actually thinks about those things that you said it earlier, but does things with intention. Um, and that's what, you know, just trying personally to continue to do. Like, I do not make perfect choices. I, yes. you know, somebody came on a call the other day and like, I'm so sorry for my throwaway coffee cup. And it's like, and she's someone who very much cares about the environment. And it's like, look, sometimes it happens. Like sometimes yeah. you've got to get that coffee cup on the go. Like none of us are perfect. All about making better choices and in small increments, just thinking about things. And so that's that's the journey that I'm still on. I'm still trying to change a lot of my life to be better and, and more conscious. Yes. Okay, Ashley, before we hear your journey, I have two questions. Well, I think one is more of a reflection of, the compassion it takes, I think, when we begin to go on this journey of I'm just not perfect. And I think the reality is, as we said, with that cycle and where in current culture and growing up as we were raised, where we fall into that and understanding the reality of the culture and in the environment has an impact on what we are able to choose. Sometimes you, if you want the coffee, you need a disposable cup and that's just the reality of the world we live in but also we can change that reality by every decision that we can make intentionally intentionally and consciously I also think that it's really interesting before we started recording Ashley reflected on the fact that I'm not in a city and they are and also it's really buggy out here I don't know if you see me swatting but <laughs> there I'm so <laughs> there's some so it's not perfect But I also feel like living in a city, and I think a lot of people live and find themselves in cities today, and that's the trajectory we're going in as humans gathering in cities more and more. I think it's also really difficult because even to another degree, we're removed from the landfill, but also the nature and okay, I want to compost my food, but I live in an apartment. 
so how's that going to work? What am I supposed to do with that? I guess I just have to throw it away or get a, I don't know if you guys have seen, it's called Lomi. It's like a counter composter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are kind of cool. I think that that's just another emphasis of the compassion and understanding the culture and environment in which we find ourselves and in which it is realistic to enact these changes. Okay, my question is, what framework can we all use as we go to the grocery store, when we're buying something, what, what are like three or four things that we should look for in purchasing a product just on our own? I think the answer, the higher arching like theme that we, somebody said to me when we were deciding whether to do this or not, and Sierra and I were a little nervous about not being leaders in the space, but mm-hmm. taking leadership roles in, in a movement and in the technology of it. And somebody said, worry about progress, you know, st- start focusing on progress and stop focusing on perfect. Because when you go for perfect and you can't reach it, people tend to get discouraged and shut down entirely. Whereas if you're going for progress, you can reward small incremental changes. Um, somebody was talking about how they wanted to be a vegan, but they can't give up cheese. Like, now I love cheese so much, I can never be a vegan. And my friend said, well, why not go vegan and keep the cheese? At least for now, like, do you know how big of a difference that would make in your life and the world? And I think we just have to remember that while we're trying to make change for the planet, we're part of the planet. People are part of the planet. Yes. So we can still make small changes that add up. And I know that's cliche to say, but like it can catch momentum. Do a couple little things and notice and then let them build up. I'm not saying that doing the bare minimum is good enough. I'm yes. saying that's, that's where we start. Yes. Those little things. Um, you know, as we have been laying out our framework, the few things that tend to come up a lot are when you can't break down all the details, think about longevity. How long is that product going to last? If you're investing in a quality item that is going to last forever, like your reusable water bottle, you're going to get how many uses out of that? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's made out of a thicker material that won't degrade as fast, but it's going to last you 10 years as long as you keep it. When you're thinking about your electronics that are broken, instead of buying a new one, how how can you increase longevity? Can you fix it? Can you repair a piece? Can you, you know, like bandage it up a little bit? Hmm. And we have this idea in our minds that we can throw things away, that waste is just an integral part of the economy. And that's a really terrible assumption to have as a part of commercial, like just shopping in general and mm-hmm. um, there yes. is no way. A way is somebody else's backyard. So don't think about waste as an assumed part of a product's life cycle. Think mm-hmm. about what, where does it go next? Um, somebody was saying the other day when you're evaluating clothes that you're gonna buy, how many wears are you going to get out of that? Yep. Because if you're going to buy it for a one-time wear, I'm not trying to take the fun out of life. You want to get out <laughs> here and there like, okay, what about, what about the rest of your closet? You know, can you make choices that will make those things live on really long and, you know, stop from buying new stuff? We evaluate packaging the same way. Hmm. How 
how much of the packaging, that plastic that you used to make the bottle, did you repurpose? Did you take the opportunity to use old, you know, PCR plastic that was already recycled that you could have used mm -hmm. instead of making all virgin materials? Mm -hmm. And let's spare the waste, create the your new stuff out of old stuff. Um, so I think those are, I don't know how clear the list was, but those are kind of the things that we use when designing the framework and evaluating products. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think there's so much juice in what you just said and in starting off points and, and in different aspects of our lives. I mean, my background is in fashion. So that's like fast fashion is like the epitome of a huge problem, both culturally and, and in terms of that, that industry and waste. I mean, as you said, like, sorry, I mean, sorry to suck the fun out of it, but buying something just for one use is like, why, why do I need that? And I'm just as guilty of it as all of us, because it's so easy. But like, why do I need that one top for that one night that maybe cost me $5 and no dollars to ship, which as I learned in my anthropology class, there's nothing that doesn't cost something. Even if it doesn't cost a dollar, it costs our atmosphere. It costs the planet. It costs someone who's not getting paid fairly for their labor. And as you said, reevaluating and again, dump out your trash, dump out your closet. Where did this stuff come from? What is my relationship with it? And I think as you highlighted, we as humans used to fix things. If something was broken, you took it to the tech shop to get fixed. You took it to the cobbler to get fixed. I was just talking to a friend about this. I have three pairs of shoes. We used to have a cobbler in my town who I would always take my shoes that needed to get fixed to. And he's out of business and he's been in business for how many years serving our community. And it's, what does that tell us about, I don't want to say where we are because I think where we are can be reflective of where we're going, but it's more like where we've been and, and what were those conditions that led up to that point? Obviously COVID is a piece of it, but what does it look like to look at those shoes and say, these aren't trashed, they can be repaired and rebirthed or repurposed or whatever it is. So I think that that's such simple sage advice for a starting point. I agree. I think we have to lead without judgment. I think, mm -hmm. you know, everybody is dealing with their own lives and it's been a rough couple of years. Mm -hmm. So we have the opportunity to work together and, you know, lead with your own actions, let the people around you see what you're doing and want to join you. Don't judge them for not doing it the way that you're doing it because you're yeah. trying, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they, it was a one-time thing. Maybe, maybe not, you know, there's, there's some, there's people on different levels of the maturity spectrum when it comes to sustainability. Totally. Um, I, I just think you're going to get more people to join you if you lead without judgment, lead by example, instead of telling people what, what they're doing wrong, tell them what they're doing well, tell them what you're doing well and encourage them to join you. Yes, I couldn't agree more. 
in every way, shape and form, that's so essential. And so, especially in, in creating a world and to highlight what Sierra said, going from a nihilistic perspective to not that I'm saying that you're a nihilist, but I think in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people can relate to every sign points to depending on how we're looking at things shit's going sideways so like what does it matter what I'm doing but the point is it doesn't have to go sideways it can actually go up and in a beautiful direction gets that shift in perspective and understanding my role in that shift and saying hi this is what I'm doing what are you doing and what can we do together and how can we uplift each other and share in that viewpoint and those actions because one it takes a village and two supporting each other is I mean in business and in in every aspect it's more is better in terms of how many people we have working together yeah totally agree with you Ashley do you want to share your story to come conscious consumption? Yeah, um, it's it's different, but not that far from Sierra's, unfortunately. Um, both of my parents were immigrants, so they were very conscious. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily in the same ways that we're asking people to be now. And I don't think it was necessarily like we have to save the planet. It was just taking care of our resources. Uh, my dad used to run around and turn the water off when we were brushing our teeth as the water was ready. Like, we don't waste water. Water is a precious resource. We take it for granted in America, but like, you don't know how many countries don't have clean water. Mm. And we would like let the shower run to let it get warm before we hopped in. He would just be like, that's such a waste of water. Feel, you know, like he was just it, very, very well-intentioned. And my mom would make my baby in the blender with pureed vegetables and fruits and stuff so as not to buy the stuff that had preservatives or whatever it was and not waste all the jars. Um, but I also grew up in Indiana and it's very close to the city of Chicago. So it's not that far behind, but you know, recycling was about as good as it gets. And that was a pretty, it, it wasn't taken too seriously, just recycling is available. Uh, but I went to college and I lived with uh, a bunch of girlfriends. One of my friends whose parents own a recycling company mm. uh, was my roommate. And she's, she's wonderful, but she was very angry with me because I went through a phase where I really liked Diet Coke. I don't drink it really anymore, but it was a great phase. And I would drink the bottle and then throw it in the recycling. And I didn't take the sticker off and I didn't do a good job of making sure that there was no Diet Coke left in there, rinsing it out. Right. And I must have done it one too many times. And this girl who is very passive, very sweet, she's not, she hates confrontation, comes storming out of the kitchen, holding the Diet Coke, and she's like, who keeps putting Diet Coke in a recycling bin with Diet Coke still in it? And everybody's looking around, like, everybody knows it was me. Nobody in the house drank Diet Coke. And I was like, me <laughs> it was me like and she was like did nobody ever teach you how to recycle and I was like I mean honestly like I guess not like 
building symbols and like that's as far as I knowledge I had yeah. before college. And then you get to Loyola and there's no water bottles. You know, you you learn to use the fill stations and it's very progressive, which is wonderful. But I didn't have that background before school. Mm. Um, and she was so angry about it. And she's like, okay, well, you're about to learn. We need to take the sick route. We need to empty the diet coke. We need to rinse out. And then you can think about putting it in recycling. <laughs> and it was great. Like, it, I wasn't upset. I wasn't hurt. We all laughed. We all knew it was me, but she was, you know, being kind and I learned a lot from her and she she took care of making sure that the house did do that and um, one of my other roommates made sure that we had good toilet paper that was bamboo or recycled paper so I learned a lot from the people around me um, and I'm still learning you know when we decided to do this I sat down with circular economy for dummies and I had no shame like I just yes. need to know at the dumbest level what are we working with what is the problem why is this so hard like why do people not understand what we're trying to work towards and why do so many people have different perspectives on what it means so mm. I get down all the way to a point of no pride and read a for dummies book and see what the fundamentals are and then I will change my actions and work up towards that. Mm -hmm. um, so similar, you know, very much at the bottom, working our way up. We had, this is my last example for you. I just thought of it. Um, but we, when Sierra and I worked together at a consulting company, we had another friend named Erin who was very, very ahead of her time. She was always sustainably minded and focused. And she brought composting to the office and I thought it was cool um but I didn't fully understand the implications of having the food in, in the bins and um we got like a, a roach at some point during the summer because we were clearly not doing it correctly they were not picking it up in a timely way and whatnot and a lot of us shut down entirely we were all like absolutely not there cannot no there was one one miss there like a roach and everybody shut down nobody wanted it in the office we were ready to shut down the program altogether and you know looking back I think that was really unfair she was making efforts to make a change and to educate people and to make progress and help us all make that progress and we should have welcomed it better we should have educated ourselves better and we honestly should have asked could there be another reason there's a roach um, and not just blamed it on the thing that we were uncomfortable with, but I think learning experiences like that stick with you and propel you forward. Totally. That is such a good example. It just highlights the fact that again, and I love that you said what, what was unknown, what was uncomfortable. And it's like, blame that for, and shut it down. It's like one failure, we're done. This is, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And it's, and it's my reaction is like, as probably you had, it's like, ew, gross. No. And some of this stuff is gross and icky, but it's also, I think, especially with composting, it's beautiful. It's returning to the earth. What is the earth really? And, and giving that needed nourishment back to, to soil, to plants, to everything because that also feeds us. It's this really symbiotic relationship.
I'll, I'll link that book and I want to check that out because it's just such an epitome of like, I know I know nothing and being cool with that and saying, okay, cool. This is where I start. And, mm-hmm. and obviously both Sierra and you, Ashley, highlight it's not stopping at what I don't know and saying, okay, I know, I know I know nothing. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, but it's, it's inviting that curiosity to learn more. Absolutely. You kind of have to, you got to be open. You have to get really comfortable being uncomfortable and realizing that it's okay to like show that you don't know something as long as you're willing to find out more and explore a little bit and learn from other people, ask questions um, frequently and don't be embarrassed. That's a hard part to, um, to learn and get comfortable with, but it definitely comes with time. Mm-hmm. 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 I would love to talk about as founders, as women in roles of leadership and entrepreneurship, creating a company in the conscious space. How does that, how, and also having background, I know Ashley, Sarah, it sounds like similar to you too, having background in startups, how are you doing business differently? And what does creating a conscious business look like and mean to both of you? There, there's so much to answer there. <laughs> like there's a million things swirling around immediately. Um, there, there's something that I always say, like it's just the first thing that comes to mind, but like we try to be human first. We talked already about how we try to work a little bit differently, how we try to make sure that we check in with the human and each other. But as we, you know, start thinking about hiring, which we are now, a lot of what we're trying to do is make sure that we check the, the human that's coming in, like what atmosphere are they coming into? Mm-hmm. How do we create a culture that is conscious of their experience, you know, working with two founders who are friends and, you know, all, all these things. And we really do think back on stories like Ashley's telling about composting bin a lot, try to reflect on those things and figure out like, what did we learn there and how did we apply that? So I think like with anything, with, you know, leading a conscious business, being a leading conscious life, a lot of it is just checking back in and constantly mm-hmm. saying, I think one of the biggest lessons learned in starting a company is, you know, you do the best you can with the information that you have. And so it's really hard not to fault your past self. But on the flip side of that, like how do we learn from that? And how do we change the things that we're going to do in the future? So I know it's a really, really ambiguous answer, but we think all the time about how we put the human first. And like, that's true for us and each other. That's true for hiring but that's also true when we get on these work calls, you know, like I think a lot of people, especially, you know, post-COVID when everything's on Zoom, they get in, everything's very transactional. And mm-hmm. we just want to get to know the humans on the other side of the call well, as much as we want to learn about their business and, you know, how we work together and those things. So I think a lot of that is like, we just try to put that first, we try to prioritize that in every aspect of, of how we do business. So introspection is uh, something we do a lot over here. Totally. It's clear too. I mean, sorry, Ashley. It's so so clear that what you're saying and what you're doing and how you're doing business is is human because that that process of introspection and, and reflection and checking in applies so much 
outside of business to every aspect of our lives. And it's, I think that's when you know that you're onto something is like, this is, this is what's, what's working inside the office, but it's making a complete difference in everything else. And it's also what I do outside of the office in, in terms of how I conduct myself as a human and how I treat others as a human. And I think that that's, that's, it comes across in, in a business, in, in what they're putting out into a world. And that's, that's super attractive to people or repulsive if it's not the other way around. Like my, I used to hate business and then I started one and I blamed businesses for the world that we live in and, you know, corporations and whatever. And, but there's so much power in using business to enact social change. You are solving a real problem that allows people to change their lives in a very easy way. Totally. Um, I think your way of saying that it applies outside of work is, is the key there. We approach or we try to approach everything with humility and compassion. And I don't mean humility like don't ever say you're good or don't ever assume that you know things. We work really hard and we try to be good at things. We're not going to turn that down. But what we will do is always be open to somebody else being more right or having more information mm. and open to the possibility that there's a part of the story that we don't know. And that doesn't always have to be that our a customer is hiding information so we can't close the deal. It can be that an employee has life happening and they're not slacking at work. They're dealing with something and not able to give 100% right now. Mm -hmm. And so we try really, really hard to go into situations with openness to whatever is going to be around us and not with this, you know, tunnel vision of we need to get this done today. This is what we need out of that meeting and that person. We're developing relationships, we're learning, we're building community, and we're kind of just open to letting that form with people around us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that openness is so important. It is. It's a challenge because that's so ambiguous. Like, what does openness mean? And as a human, how do you stay open? Like, I mean, we were just too analytical to need a definition of open, but it really does mean ambiguity. It means that you have to stand there in a situation and not have a motive or a goal. You just have to go with what's there and figure out as you go where you're going and that can be uncomfortable especially when you're driving towards business goals too at the same time you do have a bottom line but you know people come first people come first indeed indeed I wanted to talk about in terms of also doing business differently creating space for the sort of masculine energy of always doing, always being on and 
pushing, pushing and the feminine nature of working with cycles and being more receptive. And I mean, I, you've already touched on that and it's, it's clear that you're working in that balance. How, how do you see all of this as being important both to you as humans and to your business in terms of doing things differently, honoring the differences within us and yourselves and how business has been done and how, how you want to conduct in bold print and why is that so important to your work and, and to your, to your mission and achievement of that mission and also to you as humans? That's a, a great and a hard question. Uh, I think that one of the things we learned during quarantine with everybody working remotely is that the whole world doesn't have to and life doesn't operate on a standard nine to five schedule. And learning that that is even a concept opens the doors for life to happen around, well, work to happen around life instead of life to happen around work. And if we make that an inherent assumption that we can do work around life and maybe do it even better, then we can start to think about, well, yeah, there is a different way that feminine energy works and the cycles do dictate a little bit of how you present that day and how much energy you have to give and what part of you you can put on the table in that moment. Um, and I can't tell you that we have a concrete plan around it yet or that we've organized our thoughts um, and giving you raw processing right now, but I think- Beautiful, love the raw. <laughs> I think what we've done so far is done it unconsciously. You know, we've gone through a lot of life together in the last five, six months. We've had several people pass away. We've had dogs have surgery. We've had, I'm getting married in October. So we've had, you know, wedding drama. We've had a lot. And maybe it's not necessarily tied to a cycle and maybe it was and we didn't know but when you're going through all of these emotional experiences your head is somewhere else and yes. you you may not even know that we've had moments where I'll say all right let's just close laptops for a second and we could be mid like deliverable this thing is due today and we close the laptops and I've said what's wrong? Like, I can tell that like, you know, something's on your mind and something's bothering you and we'll just have a conversation about it and decide that, you know, maybe it's time to just step away for the rest of the day or an hour, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and allow yourself to feel, to be a human being, to cycle with your own body and come back when it's a better time there's always a different time. And, you know, as long as we're still getting things done, it's okay to flex those a little bit and build in a little bit of humanity. Um, I don't know if that answers your exact question, but that's kind of how I interpreted what we're up to at least. It totally does. And I think that the beauty and you saying that 
you're just processing this raw. And like you said, it's kind of just unconscious. I think it also shows how much and how I'm someone that firmly believes in everything is always conspiring and working up towards where we are in our lives and where we are going. And whether it's good or bad that happens, it's always putting us on this path. And I think that it couldn't have been a more beautiful time clearly for both of you to have come together and created this because to have it be so unconscious means that it already was so much part of both of your beings that you're just doing that, that you're honoring whatever cycle, whatever is going on internally and closing the laptop, stepping away, doing what you need to do. And I think what you said about there is always time to return to it, to, to do, but sometimes and oftentimes in every way, shape and form, we have to take care of ourselves first and, and make sure that these bugs, make sure that, <laughs> <laughs> make sure that that is a solid foundation because it detracts from our work. It detracts from our relationships. It detracts from how we show up. It detracts from our decision-making capacities. There's so much beauty and there's so much truth in this being in, in the future. And I don't think it, it depends on whether you identify as a female or not, but it's like everything in life is cyclical. Time is cyclical. We go through cycles of hours, days, weeks. We go through seasonal cycles. And being able to work with those, and as we have constantly returned to, that awareness, first and foremost, of mm -hmm. the internal and the external is, is the jumping off point. It is. It's a hard thing to connect, but when you start to let it in and let it be a little bit louder, you notice what a difference it makes to let those be what they are and to address them, to give yourself a break when you need it, or you learn when, you know, it's, it's okay. I can, I can deal with this one in, in a little bit. Right now I'm okay, but you don't get to make those decisions until you actually look at the, those feelings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sarah, do you have anything to add? Um, I think all of those things like really lead to growth in the end. I think exactly what you said, like, I am such a firm believer that like everything in your past has led to where you are today and has led to who you are today and how you'll tackle the future. And I think that, you know, Tasha's point earlier about being open-minded, like, that's absolutely how we approach things. And part of, part of that balance is just being open-minded to like where we're going next. Like sometimes it is shutting the laptop and, and thinking about where we're at and what we're feeling and what's going on. And it's kind of the same thing we said earlier too, like that can make you more productive. It can make you come back to that work and really tackle through to, to your point about like really being bullish on the work. And so all of those things, I think uh, take a lot of what we've been talking about the whole time is like, it takes a lot of introspection, takes a lot of like go so deep into every single detail, tunnel into it, and then pull back out and figure out where that fits. And that's mm. true for work, that's true emotionally, that's true in so many ways. Um, so I think all those things put together really lead to a lot of our 
professional growth, our business growth, but like a lot of personal growth as well. So it's it's definitely like this marriage of the way that Ashton and I as humans work and what we bring to the table and the way that we relate to work, to life, to emotions and how we learn from each other in those ways. And we draw, we talk all the time about how we draw on each other's strengths. Like we are very, very complementary and these really nuanced ways that you don't typically see. People talk all the time about co-founders, like one person's a tech person, one person's a salesperson. That's just not who we are. Like we are so nuanced in the way that we complement. And so I think it's just been an awesome journey to learn how to grow together, to learn from each other, to to take all these things in play. And I think our balance, maybe it's out of chaos uh, that the balance is born, but I think that our, our balance comes from that. It comes from kind of zooming in, zooming out, relying on each other's strengths and weaknesses and learning and growing. And as we learn and grow, rebalancing the those things together mm-hmm. um so I think that that's you know it's been not entirely it's not this crazy long journey so far you know, maybe life has been but I think there's so much road ahead of us um and I think that those are the kinds of things that let us grow together and so it, it's been magical it's been really cool and I think that like balance is the key to everything it's hard to achieve but it's definitely the key totally totally it's all so dynamic as you're saying and you laugh, but I, I totally agree with you. I think that out of the chaos comes that balance and, and the nuances are so, so important. And it's taking that, whether it's in, in a relationship, in any relationship capacity, whether it's work or uh, romantic friendship, familial, individually first, right? Taking that time to understand those, those nuances and, and, make space for that introspection and as you highlighted it's in the direction of growth or like evolution growth if we're speaking in a a business sense I think especially as a startup but it's oh what a beautiful circle it's sustainability it's sustainable Mm -hmm. growth it's not pour on the VC money grow 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 scale 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 go public oh, wait, now we're tanking? What happened here? Because in reality, that sustainable, mindful foundation wasn't built and established and nurtured as you are exemplifying. And it's so clear that how you are doing business and how you both are working together is that beautiful, sustainable relationship and foundation from which growth occurs in, in the most attuned way. There's a great quote that's been appearing in my life multiple times in a very synchronistic way from Lao Tzu, and it's, nature doesn't hurry, but everything is accomplished. Yeah. And when you both, as you are, attuned to inner nature, inner cycles, outer cycles, everything, that's that's where that, I don't want to say easeful, but there is a sense of ease and ba- balanced growth occurs. Definitely. You have a very powerful way of putting complex concepts simply. Um, and I love the way that you 
you see things that we haven't been able to put words to, you know, we talk to people all day long, but uh, your perspective on our relationship business and general life is I, our mission. They're so tied together that I, I love to see how, um, how you communicate and how closely related our perspectives are. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad that I think that one of the most one of the best gifts that we have in our journey as we evolve and grow and learn is when we learn a language or a framework that puts words to our experience in a way that we can say, oh, I, I knew that. I knew that innately. I felt that. But this is what it is. And it's yeah. just so cool to have that aha uh -huh, yes that's those are the words right it's and then it's okay now where can I go from here with that understanding I totally uh, agree. okay final question I can't decide which f word I want to use so we'll do both what does fulfillment and freedom mean and look like to you in in as a human and then as a founder. I'll let you start. <laughs> I think it's easier. Well, they're very tied together for me as a human, as a businesswoman right now, because my life and my work are so intertwined. Um, but freedom, you know, we started the business for freedom. We wanted to work for ourselves. We wanted to have space to do something powerful that we had the ability to affect change in. When you work for a bigger corporation or even a company that's not yours, you can only do so much to contribute to the vision and mm -hmm. to what they're actually doing. And we wanted the freedom, or I wanted the freedom at least to explore a little bit more creatively. I love creating. I love thinking about things and figuring out how to build it, to make it. Um, and I wanted the freedom to do that without being pulled back to or held back to other people's goals or uh, missions. I wanted to create my own. And I think the uh, it was freedom and what was the other one fulfillment fulfillment yeah they're so tied together I have worked in tech for my whole post-grad life I worked in data consulting for several years five years and then fintech for a couple years mm. and data is great technology is wonderful it's amazing it's powerful but it's all a means to something. And I wanted to be fulfilled in the work that I do by adding value to something, driving towards a real mission. You know, it's belittling, but it felt sometimes like you build this beautiful technology, you architect this really elaborate solution, and then you walk away from it or it builds something as simple as reports. 
And I just put in six months of time and effort to make that big, powerful thing happen. And it spits out a dashboard. And I know what that means to the business. And I know that it answers really good questions and adds all kinds of value. But I don't know that I'm fulfilled feeling that I left dashboards in the world. And I don't mean to take that away from anybody who does feel fulfilled in that career. It is a way of life. It is a great way to pay your bills and to live and to have the flexibility to have life after work. But I specifically just wanted something that had more meaning that I could wake up and care about more because no matter what I do, it has an impact somewhere. It is actually making a difference in the world and helping in some way. Um, and it just took a little while to A, be able to accept that I wasn't going to be happy until I was doing something like that and B, jump and do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You highlighted something that's so important. We've talked about on the podcast this idea of memento mori or remembering your death and the power of looking at what, what am I leaving in the world? Theoretically speaking, this is my one life. So what am I actually doing with it? And the power of remembering that in, in this context of freedom and fulfillment is so valuable to have that conversation with ourselves and, and to pause and, and then to take the risk to do something about whatever it is that we learned in conversation with ourselves about that. Again, both of you said, I don't know if Ashley, you said this in this conversation, but you kind of touched on it. Sarah, you did. You both kind of had a sense that you would be entrepreneurs, that this is something that you wanted to do. And again, everything conspiring to this moment and, and the perfection of all those imperfections that added up to getting to use that innate knowing that you both had in this perfectly aligned way is so, I think that's also perhaps for anyone, that's the, the root of the fulfillment and freedom equation. Sierra, what's yours? Um, it's going to be similar in some ways, but I think like I always come back to a lot of times they used to talk about the way that work-life balance worked was it used to be that you go to work and then you stop work and you come home and you have life. And then it, you know, obviously the dawn of internet and everything else, it started being that you take your work home with you to your life. And there's just a blurring in a bad way in an unbalanced way. Mm. And the call at that time or over time became, well, how do we create that separation again? Like, how do we create life and work? And um, I, I felt over my career that I started seeing more of like life come into work. You start having more personal conversations, making friends, those kinds of things. But ultimately, like I felt more deep inside that I wanted to have a blurring of the two. I actually wanted there to be a lot less separation than what the world was asking for. Um, and I think like, I did always associate that with entrepreneurship, but I didn't like obviously understand what that would feel like until I was actually here. 
And I think for me, like, it's just being able to, you're at dinner with friends, someone says something that has nothing to do with what you do, but it sparks an idea. And, you know, unfortunately you have to be the person that whips out your phone and puts an idea down. (laughs) I see what I do in the world around me all the time. And that, you know, there is that blurring. And even we keep talking about our relationship and how Ashley and I work, how we prioritize being friends and, and being humans and things like, I think there's just so much more of a blurring of that work in life that it makes everything feel more fulfilling because it's more of, this is who I am. Like it's, it, it's kind of like what Ashley said too. It's like being a founder and being a person now, like it is this inner mix of identity. And it, there's been a lot of, of backlash obviously about making your work life, your identity, especially in America. But um, I think that we're trying to redefine, I'm, redefine what that means and and why it's negative and um it is going to get a manicure in the middle of the day because you know you're just going to work make up those hours that night or that weekend it's kind of having this flow of the way that you work and the way that you think and to me I it makes me feel like the whole person like fulfillment to me is like this concept of being full I have things that are occupying my mind all of the time and they're they are making me a better human in addition to making me better at whatever specific subject I'm thinking about at the moment. So I'm gaining benefits in both areas and I'm putting putting in work in both areas. And so I think a lot of that is is really a part of it. And I think that and like not to harp on our friendship again, but I just think that like part of the fulfillment is just like we we do get to spend every day like getting to know each other more and more. And like we talked um, earlier on about this a little bit, but like when we came into this business, we thought like, oh, it, it, it's probably crazy because, you know, it's like making decisions with a life partner that yes. affects money and home and things. And actually I've come out of this, this is like a recent thing I started saying, but I've come out of this being like, well, actually we make like 50 decisions a day that are our entire future. And who has to do that in a life partnership? Right. And so it is like, uh, I, I think it's so much growth and so much fulfillment there as well, because like, it's just every single aspect of my life. And then, you know, even on that note, I go home to my life partner and I'm like, Hey, these are things that I learned about the way that I work and the way that I might be, you know, not well contributing to a situation or how I might be across that I didn't intend. And so you can just kind of take so many things into so many different aspects of life. But like, I, I, that part is really interesting and really fulfilling to me. And then on the freedom side, it's like, it's the ability to try and fail and try again. And it's the ability to like be creative and test it out and see what happens. And it's the ability to like uh, make a bet on your gut and what it says. And like, you know, you're going to live with the outcome of that decision if, you know, it was wrong or, or whatever. But I think that like, there's so much freedom in that. And there's like logistical freedom of being able to like come and go and that kind of thing based on your meetings, your life, your schedule. Um, but I just think there's a lot of, I think that you have the freedom to be fulfilled in the, in this role. And so I think all of it comes together, all of it plays off of each other. Um, but, you know, I'm growing a lot as, as a human, as a founder, and I think those things are really intertwined. Totally, totally. I love... And I think that it's so be- beautiful and like as a solo founder, I'm that for myself. You both get another life partner, truly. That's, you know, really, if I'm taking anything away from what that dynamic relationship is that you both share and the way that you approach it is really, is really that. And, 
And in the same way that with a life partner, with a spouse, you're creating a life together, um, a third thing, if you will, two holes coming together to make another. That's the same thing that both of you are doing here. And that's an incredible gift to one another and, and, and in the richness of your lives to have that extra deep, meaningful relationship. And I think that it also then ties into how you explained it, Sierra, is very much one, living your purpose. That's what it is. And the, the risks um, and the failure and everything, I think there's something so true in the fact that it is very much living close to, to nature and to the natural way of being human. We can, and I really like what you said about actually, wait, I, I want these two things to blur. That's the purpose part. When it's your purpose, when it's so aligned, it does just blur because that is what you're here to do and what you're doing. So it is all of it. There's no rigidity of nine to five. I show up in this way. I go home, I go out, I do this, I do that. I'm different people in different places. It's, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And, and I'm, living that very fully and very deeply. And I think that there is so much truth with a capital T to be philosophical about that way of being. And it's, I also don't think that it's not just to say that entrepreneurship is the only way to do that. Again, to highlight, it's just living our purpose and, and living in a way that if you don't feel like we have innate purposes in life or things don't conspire to show us what our purpose is then finding that meaning and that fulfillment it's <laughs> another good circle it's like the workout it's just finding what it is that works for me and then doing it there's definitely like two quick things in that note that I want to make very clear. Like it does look very different for everyone. And like, we, we obviously echo a lot of each other's sentiment because we're doing the same thing. But to your point earlier about being a solo founder versus having a co-founder, like we've met so many amazing people in this process that are solo founders. And that's such a community, like even talking to you, there's such a community of people going through life experiences together that it doesn't have to look like a co-founder. It can look like a solo founder find community and, you know, there's, there's just that aspect of things that like I was going to say, like our, our journey doesn't have to be everyone's journey to feel fulfilled and to be, have freedom. And, you know, talking about um, that, like some people do like the nine to five and like going out. Right. I have a friend who struggled a lot because the world tells you that you have to find this bigger meaning, this career that's like mm. everything you. And he really, really just kind of wanted a job that pays the check so that he could, you know, do hobbies and build things and, you know, work with his hands that he could, you know, I don't know, be home with kids one day. Like, and so he talked a lot about how, or eventually he talked a lot about how, like, well, I feel all this pressure that I have to like find my fulfillment in work. And that's mm. just, mm. 
So mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention that those two things, like they don't have to be our journey. They don't have to be what we found as fulfillment. I think it's so important that it's what you said at the end there. It's so important that it's very personal to you. Totally, totally. Highlighting your friend's experience too is it's so valuable because like you said, it's, it's, it's whatever, I think it's whatever facilitates that ability to, to do what is fulfilling, working with your hands, playing with your kids, whatever it is. And, and truly, I think in, in terms of entrepreneurship, it's like that scrappiness of whatever it is to make it happen is whatever it is I have to do. And I maybe not have to do, but I will do. And I choose to do that is to highlight or to define that innate humanness and that natural depth of that action is expressed in numerous different ways, perhaps in an infinite number of different ways for everyone else. But I think that there's that innate relationship between how we use our time and what is fulfilling and meaningful to us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sierra and Ashley, for sharing this time with me and for having such a fulfilling and nourishing conversation and sharing your wisdom and your journeys so vulnerably and, and raw. It's it's so, it's so nice and so rich. Well, thank you for having us, Lydia. Have a wonderful day, both of you. Thank yeah. you, too. Bye. Bye. And to you listening, have a beautiful week. I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>